We are on. Welcome to episode 34 of the Fight for Together podcast. Yes. Thanks for coming. What? I mean, thanks for listening. Okay. Uh, the podcast where we, um, what do we do? We talk. And smoke. And just do whatever the hell we want. Okay, but listen today, folks. This is a this is an exciting episode. I'm taking off my shirt right now because it's summertime in the basement where we're recording. But uh, we have a new intro that I spent like four hours yesterday recording, and then I got nervous today as I was like, "Oh, did I kind of miss our old intro already." So for those of you guys that don't remember, we were in a nudist resort and recording podcast episodes. So I, I, where, what are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> right here is Okay. Cammy just left. Um, but anyways, I was in, um, we were at this nudist resort and we were recording our first episode of the podcast, trying to get it off the ground. We didn't know what we were doing. And I said, seven, who's the name of my... 14-year-old son, I think he's 14, we need a podcast intro. Can you record one? So he, like, made this little song, and Flea, it's her voice, and that's also the outro, and that's what we've been using for the last 33 episodes, and it's been great. I absolutely love it, but but I wanted more. Like, I wanted something a little more angsty that was, uh, I think, more representative of where we're at and what this podcast is about something a little bit more punk rock so even though cammy's not here and she just left i'm gonna play you the new intro right now you ready here it is if you want to turn the channel go ahead fool turn the channel if you want to learn something about god shut your mouth and listen to me for a minute Our ancestors were really good at one thing. Four. Banding together into groups and cooperating. Together! Podcast. Alright. That's it. What do you think? Only respond if you're going to say something positive. Okay, so like I said, Cami took off, so I don't Nowhere to start, except for there's a couple comments that I'm going to start with reading from last week's episode. And this first comment is from Jane J. Fox. And it was left on YouTube. Cammy's back, so maybe she can read it while I light my cigar. Okay. By the way, I don't know if, um, I don't know if iced tea is a good idea for 10 15 p.m yeah but it is summery and i do like the peach i see we're gonna find out we have drinking coffee late at night and it's no problem for us so we'll see okay, okay. can you read this comment please yep this is from jane i think it's in response to last week's episode which was about Oh, the child that's the hardest to love or admitting that it's hard to love children. Yeah. Okay. She says, 
She writes, thank you for this. With Mother's Day around the corner, I was asked what I wanted for Mother's Day. My knee-jerk reaction was to be left completely alone. No flowers, no going out to eat, just to be left the heck alone and my room door closed with Netflix and zero interruptions. My family, extended, looked at me like I was a terrible human being for not wanting to spend time with my kids on Mother's Day. I am a stay-at-home mom, and I'm alone with them for the majority of the day every single day, besides maybe four hours when my husband's home, where we work on family projects, talking over dinner, and bedtime routines. Then I get two hours with my husband alone if I can manage to stay awake. This doesn't mean I love them any less or I'm not proud of being the mother to my children. This means if you want to celebrate me as a mother, give me rest without guilt. Any other celebratory situation still requires me to give my full attention to others and not myself. Mama needs and deserves rest, and I'm not going to feel bad about that, even if others think poorly of me for not wanting to be around my children for one whole day. I also must note that I never ask anyone for help with my kids. If a grandparent or aunt wants to come and take the kids for a couple hours or overnight, it's a blessing, but otherwise I never ask. So it feels that much worse to be guilted when I do ask for time to myself when I normally do not. Probably why I never ask in the first place. (laughs) Holy fuck. I can relate to a lot of that. Especially when the kids were little. Like, I had a bunch of little kids. Well, yeah. I mean, who wants to hang out with tiny kids on Mother's Day? Yeah. But um, I guess I feel like there's a lot of, like, justification going on that's, like, yeah. really unnecessary. It's like... Yeah, yeah. I feel like she f- is letting the guilt... Like, she feels guilty, but she's trying yeah. to not feel guilty. Yeah. And she just, like, doesn't want to be around her kids because yeah. it's hard. It's hard, and she's around them all the fucking time. So it's like, for a stay to be special for her, it's like, yeah, I don't want to be around you today. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Do whatever you want. You don't have to justify yourself to us or anyone. Who's she talking about? In-laws or something? I don't know. Extended I get it, family. though. You know what? I, yeah. I, I get it. I get it, too. Okay. Then there's this comment. And you know what? I just noticed I totally forgot to re- uh, replace the battery on the camera, so I'm going to have to leave. Oh. Here soon too. Um, okay, I am soaring. Eagle says it's odd to me that people with an income last year of a quarter million dollars are shilling for money for chairs. I think she edited this comment. I think it said begging for money the first time around, but I know she edited it. I don't know if shillings better or worse. <laughs> I think you can afford them yourselves. Or do what the rest of us do, which is to make them a priority and cut back on other expenses, non-essentials. Like these cigars. Yeah. Uh, like this podcast. It bugs me when people with the financial advantages you folks have beg for money. Oh, no, here it says beg for money. While enjoying extravagances. Hmm. Well, can, at least she's honest. I can tell it bugs you. I wonder why it bugs you. That would be a good question that I'd like to ask. Um, well, there seems to be a uh, belief system that if you can afford it, don't ask for it. Which I want to be clear, like, in terms of us asking, like, I, I don't feel like we ever begged. Um, in fact, the story with chairs, for those of you that are new, is this. We have 
been recording this podcast and sitting on these lame-ass wood chairs, and they hurt our ass. Um, and it's not worth it for me to buy new ones. I don't prioritize it because, like, I would rather spend my money in other ways right now. Um, and I said that on this podcast. But then we also said, hey, we're giving to you guys. Like, this is episode 34. Each podcast um, takes us about three hours. That's more than 100 hours of time that we've uh, given to freely without asking for anything, I don't, I don't think, besides, like, you know, leave us some messages or something like that. We don't even ask yeah. you to fucking rate the podcast or subscribe or none of that bullshit. We just are sharing this because we think it will be helpful to folks. And it's helpful for us, by the way, to share this. And in exchange for that, because we don't charge for this podcast and we don't charge in the form of advertising for other reasons that we'll get into later, we were like, hey, if anyone wants to give because, you know, we're cool like that, like we're your buddy, we're giving this to you and you can be our buddy and give us money if you want, completely optional, then we would love that. And a few people have and we've loved it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's a big deal to people. I mean, I think I do know. I think if you're confusing it with begging, like if you hear us saying, hey, we need um, money because we're broke, which we never said, then I guess that would be that. But it's, it is a little bit confusing because, you know, asking for money, like, and sometimes people feel totally fine with it. Like when Howard Schultz asks you to give him $4 for a latte, no one blinks an eye at that because they want a latte. But podcast people view as free. The problem is it's not free to make. So we have this huge like decision where we have to like figure out, oh, how do we charge for this? And we've kind of shared with you guys. I think after 100 episodes, we'll try and think about that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, just because we have money, does that mean we should work for free? Or... To me, that kind of like devalues the work a little bit. Yeah. I think people don't realize that you're asking for money. Everyone's asking for money. (laughs) But we're okay with certain systems. But when you're more, I guess, blatant about it or honest about it, or uh, maybe honesty is not the right word, but like Howard Schultz isn't out there saying, I need your money. Please give me your money. But he's just doing it in another way. And what he does is he says, I'm not going to give you the latte until you give me four bucks. So, of course, he has leverage. So you're going to give me your four bucks to get the damn latte, which makes sense. Yeah. We're not saying, hey, you give us a hundred bucks, people, and then we'll give you the podcast. We're saying. Which, by the way, I think we'd have a right to do. Oh, sure. We could. I think fewer people would listen. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that yet. But we're saying, hey, we're going to give you the podcast for free. But then when we allow money, it is a little bit weird to me when people get upset at that. And they're like, you know, just because it's it's a different system of charging for things or us being able to profit, you know. I mean, at at this point, we've got, I think, less than $100, which is about a dollar an hour split two ways. (laughs) <laughs> but who's counting <laughs> we need to rethink this okay um where are we um oh yeah we got news today mm. first 
uh, news sound effect. Rachel Held Evans died. Yeah. Can you please read that paragraph while I go and get a battery? Yep. Rhea Slow. As Evans matured, her voice grew louder and her opinions became more pointed. <clears throat> like the prophets of old, her ire was often aimed at the religious aristocracy and political power brokers whom she perceived to be agents of injustice and marginalization. Evans spoke out against Christians who ignored the rise of white supremacy, decried pastors who propped up Donald Trump after he was revealed to be a sex abuser, and championed the full inclusion of LGBTQ Christians in the life of the church. Untethered from any institution with power to censure her, Evans was free to say what other Christians were thinking but felt too afraid to say aloud. Over time, she sparked courage in others to add their voice to hers. So that was taken from a USA Today article. Um, she died from, what, some sort of reaction to antibiotics. Yeah. yeah. Which I do not want to make this about that, but I would be remiss not to mention anything. You're not going to hear anyone telling people not to take antibiotics because... It's just what you do when you go to the doctor. Because she died. If this was something else, if she wasn't wearing a bike helmet, people would be like, oh, you need to wear bike helmets. But you're not going to hear about that. Anyways, like I said, I don't want to distract from the point. So Rachel Held Evans, um, if you couldn't gather from that just little snippet from USA Today, was a fairly popular ex-evangelical author and what do you call it when someone's like a icon almost of leaving herd mentality thought mm -hmm. by some she was considered a liberal and uh li liberal in like the rock by the way where we when we where we grew up liberals were not that was not a compliment not a cool thing like too liberal for like orthodoxy and therefore so going to hell. You're going to hell. <laughs> yes, exactly. that's what I mean by that. <laughs> um, yeah. But for others, she, like a lot of people in our community, she was actually a huge, she gave people a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I, uh... she did. It was... It's kind of crazy. I mean, you, you reflect. When someone dies, you then reflect on their life. And there is a lot, a lot there that she did in just 37 years of her life. So I thought maybe it would be a good time to share our Rachel Held Evans story because I don't think we're going to get a better chance. Yeah. And it, I don't have a whole lot. She didn't, like, have a huge, massive impact on me. And I won't say that I was, like, crushed that she died. I mean, I was sad. I wasn't happy. Um, but our interaction with her was very brief. Um, how many years ago was this? Seven? Six? Um, maybe f five or six. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a family member that had come out as being gay, at least to us. And she was going to a gay Christian network conference 
in Chicago. So in support of this family member, we went to this conference and Rachel Held Evans was a speaker there. And at this time, I think it was, this might have been her first time coming out as being LGTQ. LGBT. LGBT. TQ. TQ. Uh, affirming. Yeah. Okay. I think it might have been her first time. Hmm. Which, for some people that didn't grow up in our faith or evangelicalism, they're like, big fucking deal you're slow like why is this even a thing but i don't think those people realize how much courage it takes to walk away from everyone and everything you know especially when things like your salvation and damnation are what's being held over you so we heard her speak and i don't remember what she talked about but i just remember feeling like this was the place I want to be with these types of people. Um, by the way, the, these type, the gay Christians were the most ostracized of the ostracized the. <laughs> because they were um, hated by the gays. A lot of them were for being, you know, associated with a faith that was fairly like of the persecuting nature. And they were hated by the Christians because they were seen as too liberal. Mm-hmm. So these people, they had it pretty bad. They didn't like. really have a place to land. No. So anyone that like took time out of their day to speak to them, I have I have respect for that. Yeah. Um, so that's all I that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Okay. She's yeah. um, this. We got a. This is gonna be a long podcast. Sorry. I'm just saying that now. This is the first time I'm hearing that, too. Well, we have more news. Oh, all right. I'm putting this in news category because I, we have a mini movie review. Because yesterday night, I we went out and saw a romantic comedy in the theater. <laughs> Which is, that's big news. That is big news. Almost, I think it might be worth playing the news. Yeah. Um, sound effect again. What Whoa. the heck Whoops. just happened? Well, Ben doesn't really do comedy, and if he does comedy, it's dark comedy. But he does do romance, but I don't know if he really does romance movies. Um, yeah, so this was a not, really... Not like straight up romance. Like I'll do Titanic or Legends of the Fall or Avatar. Um... You're leaving again. I, I gotta, I gotta deal with a three-year-old that keeps getting out of bed. Are you sure you have to? Hopefully, this will be the last time. Is there a way you could deal with it so we don't have to deal with it again? Yeah. Oh, the joys of podcasting in a basement with a family. Okay, so I guess I'm telling the story solo. So. Um, we go to this movie, which was, like I said, my suggestion, and Cammy was kind of shocked. And for whatever reason, like, I watched the preview to this thing. Oh, did I tell you the movie? The movie is called Long Shot, and I don't think there's going to be many spoilers, but if you're the type that gets freaked out about a romantic comedy spoiler, then this might not be the right podcast for you. Um, something about the trailer just fucking 
got to me. Like I was like, I'm gonna like that movie. But some like my worst fear is going to a movie that sucks and sitting there knowing that I'm wasting fifteen dollars and two and a half hours of my life that I'm never gonna get back. But I just decided not to think about it this time and we just went. It was our date night and we go and I gotta tell you guys, I don't know why. Well I partially do actually. I loved this movie. I laughed and I felt warm and fuzzy inside. And the ending like almost made me cry. That's um that's what happened. And I think like reflecting upon it, <clears throat> one of the reasons why, so the premise is like what you're gonna find in the trailer is there's this chick that I'm probably not supposed to call her that, but uh, she's she's like the secretary of state. She's running for president. So she's all like the political, um, like, you know, has appointments booked every five minutes type of character. And then she meets her like super, um, what would be the word? Like, uh, man, I don't, he's like a hippie, free-minded journalist uh, like this boy that she used to babysit that has had a crush on her for like 20 years or something like that. And principal, that's what it's like. He just lives off these principles. But he's kind of like a ridiculous character, Seth Rogen. And um, so they run into each other and then he becomes the writer for her speeches and then they kind of like fall in love. And then, of course, it's like the ultimate... Like, if she's seen with him and she's running for president, it'll, like, totally sabotage her campaign. So she has to make this decision of, like, does she go with the love of her life and, like, or does she make the ultimate compromise as a politician? I don't know. Whatever, for, for whatever reason, like, I feel like it was actually a good storyline, like, one that I believe in. Like, I've really struggled with that question. And... There was even these, like, trailers in the comedies, because, like I said, I hate comedies, because I feel like, at the end of the day, the story just, like, sucks on almost all of them that I've seen. Like, what's the premise for Ace Ventura Pet Detective? Like... I have no idea. They're, like, after an animal or something? I don't even remember. All I remember is a bird gets his head taped on. But this, like, this story was, like, actually a good, tough story. Like, I found myself, like, not knowing what to do... Or, like, not knowing how I felt, like, numerous times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I thought they were dealing with some pretty cool story, like, uh, topics about being authentic. Are you going to be yourself or are you not so that you can gain success in a certain way and more people will li- like you or something. Okay, so that's our movie recommendation for the week. The second romantic comedy. What's the other romantic comedy I saw was James DeFranco. And like, he was, not him? Is that what it's called? Maybe that's what it's called. And he was like this rich billionaire and he was dating this girl and the in laws hated him. And I was just like, Oh, I can relate to that. So I saw that in the theater too. Yeah. I don't remember that one being as good, but it didn't no, like, it wasn't as it good. didn't like suck. Okay, so for today's topic, let's get into this. Um, here's the story. Um, 
I was watching this YouTube video, and this YouTube video is called The Loneliness Epidemic. It's on this channel by this guy named Matt D'Avila. D'Avila? And he's like a minimalist type of character. Um, you know, I think he talks about like decluttering, but also like a deeper level. It's not just practically Marie Kondo type stuff. Is that our name? It's um, like talking about the impact of tech and simplicity and even spirituality a bit. And he interviews this guy who is the author of Lost Connections, Why You're Depressed and How to Find Hope. And his name is Johan Hari. Is that right? Yeah, Johan mm-hmm. Hari. And I listened to this 20-minute YouTube video, and I was just like, oh, man, I would love to talk about that on this channel because did I say the title of the video is called The Loneliness Epidemic? And really, it's it's more in line with what we believe at Fight for Together and why we do what we do than almost anything else I've heard out there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and by the way, sound clips from this video are in the intro clip for the new five for together intro that you guys already heard. So I figure if you're going to be listening to this intro, you better know where it came from so you can truly appreciate it. Yeah. That's cool. So we're going to be playing some clips from this video today that I want you guys to hear. Um, and the first one he kind of addresses why we're here. Why are we alive? You and me and everyone watching this, why do we exist? One key reason is that our ancestors on the savannas of Africa were really good at one thing. They weren't bigger than the animals they took down. They weren't faster than the animals they took down, but they were much better at banding together into groups and cooperating. Better than the animals? Is that what he's saying? (laughs) That's why they could take him down. No, I think better than we are now. Mm -hmm. Like, like they weren't necessarily, what do you say? They weren't faster. Or bigger. But humans are so unique because they have a capacity to work in relationship. They have a desire for that. That is, and an ability that Mm -hmm. is unique on this planet. Yeah. And back then, they actually, not that we don't need it now, but they like actually needed it for physical survival. That asset like really shone. It really shined. It was like why they lasted. Hmm. And in in ways, um, I feel like it's what has, like a lot of the activities that our family has chosen to do really make those type of relationships shine. I mean, let's just take the Appalachian Trail as an example. Well, another trail, when we were doing the Wonderland Trail, it almost doesn't matter what trail you're doing because when you get into the wilderness and you get into these situations where you don't have like a bunch of distractions and you actually really need each other, one, just for entertainment, two, for companionship, to not feel batshit crazy because you can't talk to rock marmots and rattlesnakes. Um, At least we don't do it very well. Uh, And three, because you actually have to, like, cooperate. Someone has to filter water. Someone has to carry food. Like, you actually need each other. You don't have Amazon Prime out there. You don't have robots. Um, And people have said this thing that's really fascinating me. They've said, your family's amazing. And 
I always receive that in two ways. One, I'm like, okay, that's a compliment. I'm supposed to say thank you, thanks. But the second is I'm like, you know, I think every family is amazing. And if other families went into the woods and just made that choice to strip away the things that distract from relationships, they would see some of the stuff that our family has been attributed to being really badass for. They would see it with themselves because it's not unique to us. Like humans do that. I think the only thing that's unique to us is that we did make the choice. And I think if there wasn't a choice, a lot of families would rise to the occasion and you would see these dynamics come to life. That I totally agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so then they start talking about this... Um, Internet Rehabilitation Center. At Restart Washington. But they disproportionately get uh, young men who become obsessed with these multiplayer role-player games like World of Warcraft or not at the time that I was there, but now Fortnite, right? And I remember Dr. Hilary Cash, the amazing woman who runs this center, saying to me, look, you've got to ask yourself, what are these young men getting out of these games? Because they're getting something, right? I think what they're getting is a kind of hollow version of the things they used to get from the society but they no longer get. They get a sense of a tribe, they get a sense of status and that they can gain in status, they get a sense they're good at something, they get a sense they're moving around. Young people barely leave their homes now, it's incredible the thing is for how rarely children play outdoors. But what they're getting is, you know, I started to think that the relationship between say these, these games or, or, or social media and social life, is like the relationship between porn and sex, right? I'm not against porn, it'll meet a certain basic itch. But if your entire sex life consisted of looking at porn, you'd be going around pissed off and irritated the whole time because we didn't evolve to masturbate over screens, we evolved to have sex, right? That wouldn't meet your deeper needs. In hmm. So he's talking about video games and the first thing he says is, why are these people attracted to them? And, he, and I used to come from this background where I was really like anti-video games or even anti-porn. I was like, oh, there's reality and those things are fantasy. There's good things. Those are bad things. But now I have much more of a view, viewpoint of what he said. Of all these things, they're scratching an itch. You're filling a need. Yeah, with video games, at least a lot of these social ones, and I haven't really played them much, but I, I've played them enough to know. You know, you can feel a sense of accomplishment, a sense of community, a sense of purpose, a sense of um, significance. Hmm. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that if that's where it stops, if that's all the significance you feel is by pushing buttons and looking at a screen... I love how he uses that porn example. It's like he's, he said he doesn't have a moral objection to porn, but he, the way he phrases it, we haven't evolved to look at a screen and masturbate. If that's the extent of your sexual experience, it's probably going to leave you really unfulfilled or really lacking. There's going to be parts of your body and your mind that aren't activated because they were made for deeper connection than what can be afforded by a two-dimensional screen and your hand mm -hmm. or whatever 
toys you choose to employ. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to think about what they're getting out of that. Makes sense. So instead of, you know, I'm just, instead of with kids saying like, video games are bad or you shouldn't do that. I'm just wondering how that would affect our stance in terms of saying like, you know, the, what you're getting there is good. Mm -hmm. You're just not ever going to like fully be able to get it there. And we want to make sure that whatever you're getting there, and he also tosses social media in there, whatever you're getting there doesn't compromise the next levels. I mean, what if you're like, and this is just a rule we have in our marriage also, like if I'm masturbating so much that I don't have energy to have sex with you, I would say like that's a loss to my goal and our relationship. Yeah. I also, maybe he talks about this. I haven't listened to the video, but I also think we as a society go to these things also because they're easier than going to people. And now we have access to these things. Our ancestors, we didn't. They didn't have access to like porn, like the, that type of easy yes. porn. They didn't have the type of access to the, the easy camaraderie with video games you know, and then social media, I can get on Instagram and feel like I'm connecting with someone I know in real life. And me being an introvert, like I'm like, I'd rather do that sometimes than go to their house and say, hey, how are you doing? So I think that's the next clip that he talks about here. No, junk food has taken over our diets and made us physically sick, right? As you can tell from my chins, I'm not immune to this myself. But there's equally strong evidence that a kind of junk values have taken over our minds and made us mentally sick. Professor Kasser showed, so for thousands of years, philosophers have said, you know, if you think life is about money and status and showing off, you're going to feel like shit, right? It's not an exact quote from Confucius, but that is the gist of what he said, right? But no one scientifically investigated this until Professor Kasser. And, and he showed a few, I think, really important things. Firstly, he showed the more you think life is about money and status and showing off, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious by a really quite significant amount. I think this is because, I'm going a little bit beyond Professor Kasser here, but I think this is because everyone knows they have natural physical needs, right? You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need clean air. If I took those things away from you, you'd be in real trouble real fast. But there's equally strong evidence that all human beings have natural psychological needs. You need to feel you belong. You need to feel your life has meaning and purpose. You need to feel that people see you and value you. You need to feel you've got a future that makes sense. And our culture is good at lots of things. I'm, I'm glad to be alive today, but we've been getting less and less good at meeting these deep underlying psychological needs. If you think, partly because there's many factors going on, but partly because if you think life is about money and, and, and displaying that money, that is going to divert you from the things you actually do need to have a a meaningful and satisfying life. But Professor Kasser also showed something else. So he showed the more you follow these junk values, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious. He also showed as a society, as a culture, we have become much more driven by these junk values. It's a cliche to say to your viewers, 
you won't lie on your deathbed and think about all the likes you got on Instagram and all the shoes you bought, right? You'll think about moments of love and meaning and connection in your lives. But as Professor Kasser puts it, we live in a machine that's designed to get us to neglect what is important about life, right? More 18-month-old children know what the McDonald's M means than know their own last name. We're immersed in a machinery. That hmm. Man, that last line. Jeez. What? Uh... I forget now, but he's like, like we're, we're, uh, our society is designed to help us forget what's actually really important to our, us. Our, our society is immersed in immersed machinery, in machinery that is basically pushing these junk values. So that like freaks me out. Why? To hear that. Well, it just makes me sad and it freaks me out because like yeah there's going to be so many people hopefully i'm not one of them but it could be like that you're lying on your deathbed and you're like that shit doesn't matter like that just it doesn't matter but we're why does that freak you out i i think it's like the regret piece of like you're gonna you're missing out on what's what really matters in life fomo yeah fomo not the social media type FOMO. <laughs> Death FOMO. <laughs> past tense? I've I guess never that's, really I guess lived. that's all past tense. I mean, I think we're going to be like that no matter what. I hope I'm like that when I die, that I'm yeah. able to see things more clearly. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. But to summarize what what he's saying, I think, is so there's these junk values. Like if you said, hey, I'm going to just try and get rich. Everyone kind of looks at that, for, at least from a philosophical level, and it's like, uh, we don't agree with that. It's one thing to say that, though. But it's another thing to actually live that. And like you actually believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's saying as a society, like here's one example. If you look at there's some way on your iPhone, right, to look at like screen time, I think is what it's called on on Apple's phones, iPhones, where it says like how much time you spend on Instagram. So I could say, well, like my kids are more important than the general population of the world. I could say that. But when I look at how much time today I spent talking with my kids individually versus how much time I spent um, checking um, my story feed, which I was a little bit disappointed, by the way, because I got these new shoes, and they're camo and gold, which I found I am a sucker for camo and gold. Um, so I posted them on Instagram, like on my story, and I didn't get one response, like not one. People were like, eh. Yeah, and I am like super excited about them. So I don't know. It's okay. I mean, here I am trying. It's okay. <laughs> well, maybe it's just your thing and it's not the other 200 well, people's obviously. thing. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's It's so funny to judge your life through your social media lens but this is where i i do think you know just that awareness of the machine like i mean i think one simple thing is to know that facebook is against you well i don't know if that's but facebook is not acting in your best interest facebook is acting in facebook's best They're interest just a, a business which the way facebook facebook's best interest is for you to be on facebook as much as humanly possible and facebook owns so many connections now like it's business it's like groups 
It's um, how we even connect with you guys. Facebook has a part of that a lot of times. Um, it's how we plan events. It's how we sell shit, like locally even. So just to know that we are in that system and that Facebook is selling junk values, like all those little red notifications on Facebook are designed to elicit some sort of emotional thing for me that is probably the equivalent of what he says, junk food. You know, it, it satisfies you in the short term. I feel a sense of significance. I feel a sense of connection. But in the long run, it's not the things that are probably most likely building true significance or connection. Yeah. I'll get on Instagram and I'll have a notification or a new follower and I'll feel good for like one minute. And then I get off of Instagram and I'm like, what just happened? Like what? And then I'm like, and then you're back into like real life again. <laughs> and it's kind of disorienting. I'm realizing to be back and forth between the two worlds. Which is like, there's articles in our, I don't want to get into, this isn't a social media bashing thing because there's articles upon articles written about how many bazillions of dollars are go, went into Facebook to basically turn it into a slot machine to give you that same feeling that drug addicts get when they see three cherries spinning by the randomness, the notifications, the drug addicts. You mean gambling addicts? Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> um, the dopamine hits, you know, even like Twitter, it pisses me off cause I'll scroll on. And then like these little red notifications will pop up and they're not even like real. They like, they manufacture shit to like, be like, Oh, did you see this tweet? And now that's a notification that I can't turn off because it wants to keep me on there for longer. The thing that I have a really hard time with and I'm addicted to is Instagram's just the scrolling, like not the feed. Cause I'm only following like 33 people by design, but, but I'll just get on the, the, <clears throat> I don't even know what you call that. The feed. That's what you call it. Yeah. Like it's, where, where, where it's the, just like endless the heroin endless stuff you can like look at dude i have videos and some of it's like funny shit like it's really hard for me to turn that off and if i if that wasn't there i, I don't want to blame instagram because i think it's my own problem but if it wasn't there i think i'd only be on instagram for like 20 minutes a day but because it's there i'm like well oh, that's like a design thing i mean my time. that never used to exist a an infinite scrolling page. Yeah. It used to be that you get it to the end of a page and then you have to, and then you have a decision to make, but every decision you have the option to say yes or no. Yeah. But the fewer options they give you for decisions, the longer they keep you on there. They know that they're not stupid. No, I know it's by design. I'm just saying like, that's a problem for me. (laughs) It's starting to be a little of a problem for me because you've been on there every night. Yeah, well, I, that's this is where I'm saying I'm. I have a problem. All right. Well, let's <laughs> look for maybe a solution here. Research about how we how we undo some of that, and some of it was really simple. He got a group of people to meet once every couple of weeks for four months, and just talk about firstly consumer objects they thought they had to have, things like Nike sneakers. Once they talked out loud, well, how do you think your life will be different when you've got them? It didn't take long for people to start saying, oh, maybe this is bullshit that's been implanted in my head by advertising. But then the more important bit was they got people to talk about, well, what are moments 
that's not a moment that's going to make you feel satisfied. What are moments you have actually felt your life was meaningful, satisfying? We'll talk about different things. For some people it was playing music, for some people it was swimming, for some people it was riding, whatever it was. Um, and they start to say, well, how could you build more of that into your life, seeking more of that and doing more of that, and less of seeking this kind of junk values stuff? And just that process. So is he saying, like, if you build more of the meaningful stuff in your life, it'll squeeze out the other stuff? No, I don't think so. Because that's that, not going to happen. I don't think that was the point of that clip. That's I think the point happen. of that clip was what he was saying was, and it was kind of out of context, but the groups of people got together and they just started talking about it. Yeah. They like, just started talking about the junk values and their attraction mm -hmm. to it. And what they noticed is when they started talking about it, it kind of lost its magic. Yeah. And and on the flip side, they started talking about the other things too. Like, hey, what are some things we want more of and how can we have conversations about how to get more of that? It was a very simple process, but it's just kind of like bringing it out into the open. Yeah. And, you know, I had this happen. So let's talk about my shoes again, by the way. These are the um, Adidas Boost. 4.0 Bape Camo Edition. They look so cool. But I was like stressing out with these shoes because I thought they were kind of expensive. So I, and the places you buy them, like you can't return them. Like it's like a limited edition shoe. So I was like, well, I want to get the right size. So I like got them on Zappos, like just to size them because Zappos has the free shipping, you know? So this other color pair shows up my house. That's a 10 and a half. And just when I opened that shoe box and I saw the shoe, it like, it kind of lost its magic. Even though it wasn't even the shoe I was getting, I was just like, oh, this is just a shoe. Like mm -hmm. it's plastic, I could touch it. Like the magic just lost the second I opened the box. Mm -hmm. the, the fantasy that I had in my head about how cool it would be and how it'd make me feel was like partially fictional. And sometimes you have to go through what I went through. You actually have to touch the shoe. But I think there's other ways to do it, which is just to tell stories. Like, and this is like, I did this for years in 12-step groups. It was, it was the primary benefit for me to go to an addiction group was just hearing people who felt like their solution was going to be one more hour of zoning out or medicating for whatever it is. It could be porn, it could be drugs, doesn't matter. And... At the end of the hour, they just talked about how they felt. And it was like there was a lot of healing in that. Hmm. So I think just to be able to talk to people and to say, hey, man, I like seriously, though, not like joking, because there's a, like a lot of areas where it's joked on like, oh, I was on Instagram like too much. Yeah. And it's kind of like it alleviates some guilt, but it's not really super honest or constructive. But to actually tell people man, like I, I go online and it makes me happy for a little bit. And then I do it for like an hour. And then afterwards I notice like it doesn't really help my other goals that much. Yeah. I, I wish, like, I think my ideal goal with Instagram would be 10 minutes a day. But I look at that. And I'm like, there's no way. I could do that. That's how I feel. Well, 
so that I mean I think that's one place to jump to. That's mm-hmm. like a resolution. But I think what he's saying is a little more simple than that. It's it's actually just being honest about the effects. Yeah. Because we can all set resolutions that we all know what dieting is like. Right. It's hard. Yeah. And there's high failure rate. But the goal for me actually is to actually fall out of love with some of these junk values as he calls them or to actually see them for what they are and on the flip side to see the values that are actually going to produce health to to actually be more attracted to them which is a hard conversion so i'll tell you one way that we're doing this as a family it's very intentional but it's through making videos about hiking and running two activities that at the end of the day, I'm actually not very passionate about. Like I don't consider myself a runner or a hiker at the end of the day, but I've seen the impact that these things have on me as an individual and us as a family unit and the relationships. And because of that, I believe in them. So that's why we lug fucking cameras on the Appalachian trail. That's why we take pictures of our family on Instagram running. Like I I think they're redundant and they're stupid and they get like annoying and then I have to look at the likes and like, you know, it feels like I'm whoring myself out to get attention by running with my kids. But at the end of the day, I believe like just when people see that picture, they might maybe feel like there's an alternative because most people don't do that as a family, that there's an alternative activity as a family than staying inside and being on their screens. There's an alternative to junk food, basically. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you could say about the way we run, but it's not junk food. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I He just made a comment that um, kids are not playing outside much at all anymore. And that makes me sad. And, and even like my little kids do play outside, but even my, like I can feel like where we live, it's a little bit more open to that idea. I think like there's, it's not like ultra safety conscious um, compared to other parts of the U.S., but I still feel this like environment that I don't remember feeling when I was a kid where it's highly, I don't know what it is, restrictive with kids. Like, it, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's almost just this like feeling I get as a parent that, oh, uh, I probably shouldn't let my kid do that or, oh, uh, I'm going to be, because I'm going to be judged or cops are going to come to my door or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I think there's a, like a lot of fear. So um, there's a lot of things that are pushing against yes. these non junk food type activities. Yes. <clears throat> Which I'll give one example of this. I mean, I want to make a whole fucking video about this because this is really a hot topic for us right now. So we just finished this marathon as a family. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert vlogs coming out soon it's gonna kick ass hopefully but in the meantime um you'll have to just hear us talk about it and we have videos in the past of our family running marathons the number one comment is someone saying uh kids shouldn't run it's like bad for their growth plates or some shit which may or may not be true the studies out there have been like disproven from the 80s but even if it is true people will take that singular study about a singular element and they'll gladly apply it to their entire life so that they'll be happier if their kids stay at home playing video games 
Then if their kids damage their growth plates running a marathon and doing everything that leads up to being able to run a marathon. And what I found is, even if it's true, our, my belief is even if it's true that their growth plates are damaged, that's like one of 25 variables that I'm looking at to determine like our overall health. And there's a lot of things like that telling you not to run. Oh, it could damage growth plates. Oh, it's hot out. Oh, it's cold out. Like, oh, you could emotionally damage a child. And all those things are, they're all true. But as a whole, like, I believe it's more likely to produce, I mean, the whole point of this video, you guys, that um, this interview that we're talking about, the title was something about ending loneliness or loneliness the, the loneliness epidemic. Because what they're saying is, although we have the ability to be more healthy, quote unquote, and more connected than ever on the planet, more people are lonelier than ever. Hmm. So, like, what's up with that? You know, and in a way, you'd think if we have all this medical knowledge, like we know about growth plates, they didn't know about that 200 years ago. You'd think we'd be healthier and living longer and have higher, like even whatever, lower birth mortality rates and all that kind of stuff. But we don't. Mm. So we, we tend to latch on to, I think, those types of evidence or information yeah. that produce an easier life at the end of the day. All right, we have a couple more clips. Um, study that was done in 1978. Really simple. You get a bunch of five-year-olds and you divide them into two groups. First group is shown two advertisements for whatever the equivalent to like Dora the Explorer or the Teletubbies was in 1978. I forget what it was. Second group is shown no advertisements. Then all the kids are told, hey kids, you've got a choice now. You can either play with a nice boy who doesn't have the toy in the advertisement or you can play with a nasty boy who's got the toy. The kids who'd seen just two advertisements overwhelmingly chose the nasty boy who had the toy and the kids who hadn't seen the advertisements overwhelmingly chose the nice boy who didn't have the toy, right? So just two ads, just two, were enough to prime those kids to choose an inanimate lump of plastic over the possibility of fun and connection, right? Every single person watching your video has seen more than two ads today, right? More than two advertising messages. So we're living in this hurricane of messages bombarding us with a very particular... Before advertising sells any specific product, it sells the idea that the solution lies in purchasing things, right? I mean, imagine... So did you get that, that study? Yeah, that's crazy. Two groups of kids, half of them were shown two advertisements, and then they're given the choice. Did they really give them a nasty boy? <laughs> or was it not. just like... <laughs> but they're like, would you rather hang out with the cool kid that doesn't have, the nice kid that doesn't nice have kid, the stuff, yeah. or the asshole, but then you get the shiny object? And they're like, I'll, I'll take, take the asshole. Yeah, I'll take the object at any cost. Because what happens when you see the advertising is all of a sudden you feel inadequate. You feel like, oh, I was happy, but now I'm not until I get the thing. Mm -hmm. Even to a point where you're willing to take physical or physical or emotional, whatever it would be, the type of abuse that comes from hanging out with an asshole, a mean kid, yeah. to fill that need. Which is why I think advertising is so dangerous. And this is why like, I am Soaring Eagle from the beginning, who's like bashing us for being okay with taking money. 
you know, most people, they just go straight to advertising. You know, we could advertise the hell out of these podcasts right now. I don't know how much money we'd actually get, but there's a way through our podcast platform we could start introducing advertisements like right off the bat. I just think it's really manipulative and dangerous. And that's one of the things that's really hard for me with our vlog is we just we just enabled ads for the first time ever a month and a half ago after three and a half years. And I held off for so long because and everyone's saying, oh, give us the ads. We don't mind the ads. We'll support you through the ads. I'm like, you guys, you don't understand the cost of the ads. Like they're not free on your psyche. On Yeah, yeah. on your psyche or on your wallet. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I would so much rather keep it ad-free and have people just fund us straight up yeah. and cut out the manip- manipulation and the, everything that goes along with that. But ultimately, I think we have to kind of like settle also for being okay with people. If that's what they want, they get to make that choice. Yeah. But man, holy shit. What, I mean, isn't that, that's crazy about this uh, study though, huh? Yeah. That was in 1978. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Um, but he says, you know, what advertising teaches more than anything, it's not selling a specific product as much as it's saying that you need a product period or something outside of yourself to truly be happy. Hmm. And this is like, I want to camp on this for a second. Because this is the thing as parents that has impacted us more than any other thing is a belief that the best thing we could ever give our kids is ourself, not stuff, not baseball. And, and this, and I take stuff, I, I take it in a pretty big way. Okay. And the whole premise for fight for together as a phrase and as a belief came from the belief that at the end of the day relationship is all that matters loneliness is the epidemic and i have a i have a spiritual belief for that which is in transition i'm not sure where exactly it stands but i think being disconnected from god or the spiritual or the deity or yourself and others is the biggest problem and therefore the biggest solution and we will fill it with everything else products but products come in many shape and forms i mean everyone loves to poke like you know point the finger at other people's products that they're buying and be like oh ben bought camo gold shoes <laughs> you know but really the biggest products i think that we buy oftentimes are things like education like we feel like i need to buy my kids and it's not always with money but it's with time a good education to feel like a good parent and oftentimes we'll ignore our kids, send them to school. And this is not a case for homeschooling or anything, by the way, you guys. This is a philosophy of education. If you believe at the end of the day that education stands outside of relationships and is a separate thing, then I don't know. I, I think it could just run into problems. Same. This happens with business. People view business as something outside of relationship. At the end of the day, business is just people selling things to people and the money goes to people for people from people it's all about people and sometimes we get we get distracted by the widgets but it's always 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 about relationship i think education you learn things 
so that you can grow in relationship with people. And ultimately, I believe there's a higher level relationship. Like I said, I'm not sure exactly what I feel comfortable. I don't just want to pigeonhole it and call it God, but something bigger, some sort of like awareness or connection or deity um, that I believe I, I'm comfortable calling it God, but in 12 step groups, we call it higher power. Um, that at the end of the day, if you're broke, but if you have that, you'll be happy. And on the flip side, if you're a millionaire, but if you don't have that connection, you will be like on your deathbed. You'll have the FOMO. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. I got, got passionate there for a sec. A sec. Okay. Ready to listen to the last clip? Yep. Miss of is it has to make you dissatisfied, right? I mean, in the advertising, if you look at what advertising people say internally to each other, they're very candid about this. They call them invented wants, right? Because actually, the things that we need are relatively limited. The whole machinery has to be built around making us feel inadequate and then making us buy the solution, right? So I think movements that say, you know, I'm just going to purge this shit, right? That, that is not the answer, right? Of course, there are nice things. We all like to have nice things. I have some nice things. But the idea that this ceaseless treadmill of buying and displaying useless bullshit, um, the idea that we might want to step off that treadmill and go, maybe I've got a limited amount of time in which to be alive. Maybe I'll spend my time on things that are more meaningful. Seems to me to be a... a... I cut him off there, but maybe he was going to say that's a good idea. <laughs> so, so it's okay to have nice things. He's not bashing that, but there's, it's like the treadmill is probably symbolic to a certain mindset that you have that the next thing will make me happy. The next nice thing is what I need. Yeah. And he's saying that's the whole purpose of advertisers. Actually, advertisers just sit in a room and they try and figure out how can they make you feel inadequate with your current level of possessions or purchases. And they have to put effort into that because what we actually need is quite simple. Exactly. So what do we need? Well, he said, yeah. And that's where I Not think much. what we need. Well, he doesn't exact. He doesn't say what we need. Mm. You know, he never spells it out. But I think what we need. I think what we're going for is togetherness, is intimacy, connection, connection. If we feel connected, and you know, I like I said, I'm in transition, so I have a hard time articulating these beliefs as confidently and passionately as I used to. But I still believe it at the end of the day that the greatest feeling we can have as humans is when we're connected with other humans. And when we're playing video games, when we're looking at porn, when we're um, buying gifts or in love or, you know, just hanging out with friends, getting drunk or hiking, whatever it is, that the feeling that is the most um, consistently rewarding is the ones where we feel connected to a higher spiritual being to each other and to our true selves. Hmm. 
and all the other stuff, you know, so what he said, it's, it's kind of slight, but we have to kind of like shut off the advertising that is like really not looking out for our interests and basically selling us junk food. And I remember hearing this story, like you'll never see an advertisement for broccoli (laughs) or like coupons for it. Like it doesn't exist. You'll see coupons for Cheetos and Red Vines and M&Ms. But the the things that are truly good, they don't get airtime. Hmm. Is that because they don't need to? Like, because people will, at the end of the day, broccoli's not going to go out of style. I don't think so. No, it's because there's not a marketing machine behind it. No one's getting rich off broccoli. Oh. It's not a huge moneymaker, I don't think. Yeah. Like... You know, no one ca- at the end of the day, the grocery store doesn't care if you. But kale, though. <laughs> Even that, like cheetah or coca. Uh, the, they've made ca- kale chips now, so they have like. Yeah, but that's another it. product. Yeah, it's I, like Coke yeah, is trying to beat Pepsi. That's why Coke is always going to be pushing Coke. That's why you see advertisements. Not because Coke is better. Mm-hmm. It's because they're trying to beat someone else. Coke is looking out for Coke. Mm-hmm. So in it a way, want to. I don't know, take a class or read a book or something on advertising just just so I can kind of wake up from my illusion of when I see something, I just know what I'm seeing. When I see an advertisement, I yeah. know what I'm seeing. That's why you're never going to see like advertisements for like walking or, <laughs> you know, meditation or writing out the Bible. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be like, come to King's Island Amusement Park. Like, you know, get connected with your family. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to, I'm not against those things, but. Okay. Well, that's, that's, I like this because it, it's just all about asking that deeper question of like, what is it for? And what, what is like going to get in the way of those goals? And that's what I like about our channel with my goal is just to show people a way that we're trying it. And I'm not, you know, we've said on our vlog, like we're not a how to channel because I don't, the answer isn't hiking, but we are kind of, you know, giving the fuck you to the, um, iPad mindset that says this is the answer. I don't believe that's the answer either. So just by hiking, it's kind of a subversive, rebellious activity in our culture that happens to be working for our family in some ways. But I would love to be in a community of people and to share what we've learned with those people and hear what is working for them about how are we prioritizing relationships and saying, fuck you to consumerism, fuck you to junk food, fuck you to shallow answers, and fuck you to the companies that are saying video games and porn is the end of the railroad. That's the last stop. That's all you're ever going to get out of it. Like, I'm fine with those things being tools that we use to connect with other people on deeper levels or stages of life. But I want more than that. Yeah, I want more than that, too. And I like Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos are good. I like the puffy ones, but you like the no, harder ones. Yeah, I feel like the puffy ones are a waste of time. But they do melt in your mouth better. 
Um, okay, it is time to go to the phones. Dot. Hey, Ben and Cammie. This is Emily. Um, I've called before in the past. I'm calling from North Carolina. Um, and I'm calling about your porn podcast that you guys just released today on April 29th. Um, basically, I'm just making a comment on my experience because it seems pretty similar to yours. Um so my husband and I both come from a pretty Christian conservative background, and it was just viewed as something you just didn't do. Um, it was one of the worst things you could do, especially if you were married. Um, anyway, it's not something we really dealt with before we were married. We met when we were 14. We got married at 21, um, and now we're almost 30. And this really started becoming a problem like five years into the marriage, I would say. And, um, you know, at first, when I first found out he was watching porn, I, like, flipped out. And it was totally unacceptable to me. I considered it a form of cheating. Um, it was very emotionally driven from me on my side. Um, and he said, and, and he said that he felt really guilty about watching porn, but that he felt like he couldn't stop. Um, but later, years, years later, um, we realized together that he just really felt guilty for making me feel the way that I was feeling. Um, so basically, this went on for a few years. Um, you know, like months would go by, I would find it on his phone or find out that he was deleting history on the computer or whatever. You know how that whole thing goes. Um, and... I was basically like, if this is going to be how it is, I want to get divorced, blah, 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 you know, just throwing around, like, crazy stuff. And, you know, I was sitting in bed one night and just crying my eyes out, being so dramatic, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I was being totally codependent on him and saying, like, if he... um you know, doesn't do X, Y, and Z, then I can't be happy and I can't feel loved. And I also realized that he is not a perfect human being, and neither am I. None of us are. And if I am supposed to love unconditionally, I'm not doing that because I'm putting a condition on our marriage. I'm putting a condition on our love. And it was just like magic. I got over that, whatever that thing was in me, and it no longer had power over me. It no longer had power over our marriage. And it re Sorry, Emily, again, it cut me off. It released all of that pressure and yuckiness around that topic. And because of that, he wasn't watching it as much. I wasn't trying to control him as much. And it even became sort of like a fun thing. Every once in a while, we did um, watch porn together. I'm at the point now where... I just, it bores me. I think it's all the same. Uh, maybe that will change one day or maybe not. I don't really care. I'm just indifferent to it now. And it reminded me also, our family is vegan. We've been vegan for four years. And my husband recently, I, I found out 
that he had been eating cheese, you know, like some dairy products. And it's the same thing. Like some vegans would flip their shit if their partner started introducing um, animal products back into their diet. But I realized what this unconditional, non-codependent love is like with my spouse. And it's so freeing to just let him be him. And he allows me to be me. And we're just really growing into our individual selves alongside each other. And it's just become this really beautiful um, relationship. So I'm very excited to see what the future is like for us. Uh, change is scary, especially when you are in a marriage. Um, but I think once you can release your ego and release your fears and insecurities, you find that you actually love the other person even more because they're allowing you to be you. And I just want to thank you guys for your podcast because I love these topics. I love talking about them with my husband, and it allows us to grow even closer. So love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. I should have warned you guys that was a longer message, but I, mm-hmm. I, I really thought it was worth playing that. Yeah. It was cool to hear that whole transition story. Yeah. I mean, it was totally worth, like, I need, like, to hear all of it. Like, I'm sure it wasn't all of it, but enough of it to, to see, like, the transition. So her husband's looking at porn. She's, like, taking it personally. Then at some point, she, like, lets it go. Which, by the way, I don't think is an endorsement of something. I mean, I love how she shares two stories. One of being okay with porn and then one with being okay with cheetos i'm just gonna use cheetos because cheetos. i'm assuming that's the form that he ate consumed the cheese in are there other is forms that real cheese <laughs> is that that's probably um, okay for vegans right and um you know because it's really the same issue at the end of the day and she by letting him eat cheese or cheetos she's not endorsing it but on some level you have to let someone be who they are or at least by controlling them you're you're sucking the life out of you and the relationship, I think. And I'll never yeah. forget this. I love this story. And I'll never forget. I don't know if we shared it here or not. But when we talked to our therapist about porn, and he has a spiritual background that's similar to ours in some ways. And, you know, he said, I forget. I think he was talking about a different couple. Maybe it was just safer for than to talk about us. But he said this lady came to him who was married and said, my husband's looking at porn. And he goes, and? Yeah. Or I think he might have said, how, how is that impacting you? Yeah. And she, she was wanting him to say or expecting him to say, like, like obviously, like, oh, we'll just tell him to stop. Or like, like that's a problem. Like Let's just fix the problem. Just him doing that activity was intrinsically hurting her. Mm-hmm. But, but what I like about that is it forces us to distinguish. Okay, it it our actions do impact each other, you know. So if he's eating Cheetos and if he's always leaving crumbs in the bed, then you could say, hey, I don't like the crumbs in the bed. But if he's eating Cheetos, kind of like on his own time, um, leaving crumbs in his own chair. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, that gets kind of weird. But uh, all that to say, there are things that we do that there's an individuality that is also, you know, sometimes I think when people view marriage, they were like, oh, we own each other. I think it's interesting that she eventually got okay with porn. But I would even say 
it's okay if she never was okay with porn, but she was okay with that he was okay with porn. You know, yeah. there's a difference there than saying you should not be okay with porn. But really, it's just like you're staying on your side of the street and saying I'm I mean, not okay. I used to be like this with Instagram and you because I, I actually feel like the level at which you're on Instagram, it's uncomfortable to me. Like, I feel like it's too much. Like, maybe that's my old school part of me or something. And I think I used to spend a lot more energy trying to, like, look over your shoulder and... Trying to monitor. Guilt you, which yeah. I still do a tiny bit on the podcast, but... Um, I know, is this your uh, passive-aggressive You know, way? to, like, pressure. But now I'm like, you know, I don't like it, but... I think you have to kind of like work through that and come to that conclusion yourself. And if it impacts me, like there are times where late at night I've told you, Hey, I feel like, you know, I want to go to bed 20 minutes ago and I feel like you've been on your fucking phone for, you know, not paying attention to anything. And that does have a negative impact on me, but it's so much more constructive to, to talk about how it's impacted me instead of be like, you shouldn't be on Instagram. Yeah. You shouldn't be eating Cheetos. You shouldn't be. Because that's so subjective. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, Emily. Uh, last yeah. call for the day. Hi, Cammie and Ben. Um, my name's Sammy. I'm from Colorado. And I asked you a question a couple weeks ago, and I really appreciate the time you guys took to answer that. It's um, an awesome way to connect with you guys and hear your opinion. Um, I just had another question for you guys, if you don't mind answering. Uh, my question is, have you ever doubted your faith? And do you help your kids along their faith journey? Meaning, do you let them explore other religions? Um, yep, yeah, that's my question. Thanks again for all you guys do. Yes, I have doubted my faith. For sure. Especially in the last few years. Um, And... Do you want to get into that anymore? uh, Well, yeah. I've gotten to the the point where I've doubted does a higher being even exist? I think I've landed on yes, but I'm also open... Or it it kind of scares me to think that there isn't, but at the same time, time like, well, I'm not like 100% sure, sure of that, but mostly sure of that. Um, but I, I definitely have doubted other parts of my faith uh, and have gotten to the point where I've let go of a lot of things that I used to believe. And I feel like that's a, such a loaded question. Not, yeah, I, like, what does I, it mean to I doubt? I know where she's coming from. Yeah, but doubting your faith has a negative connotation where we come from. And it was what like, is faith? Like, it's, what it's is almost like, have you ever um, considered cheating in your marriage? Yeah. That's, That's how, how it's asked, asked as exactly. if you're like cheating on God by questioning. Yeah. And I, w- I would actually honestly say I haven't doubted my faith, but it's because I have had the type of faith where doubt isn't really i don't want to say possible but like i hold it pretty loosely which is kind of weird because i base my entire life off of it <laughs> like i'm willing to die for it but like it's kind of like my personality i'm kind of like black or white and i want to believe in god and 
that he's a loving and caring being and that we live in a love story that's all in some way designed by it or him or her. Um, and I'm okay with being wrong too. Like, so to doubt, so I wouldn't even say I doubt that. I just don't like, I think everyone puts their chips in a basket and even the people that say they don't believe in God and they're serving consumerism, they have their chips in that basket. So what I say, well, would you doubt consumerism? What, what scares me more now is some of the confidence people have and the closed-mindedness. I, I feel actually that's more dangerous than any particular belief system. I, I would say I've, my faith has evolved. And maybe some of that came from doubting or some of that came from questioning or Which it make, it, some of that came from just life experiences. It, it makes me really nervous around people whose faith hasn't evolved. Because if you have the same confidence you did 10 years ago for something, it could be that that's what you're right. It also could be that you... You kind of closed off something there. Yeah. And finally, in regards to your last question about kids and other religions, I, I don't... I honestly don't care like what religion my kids choose. Um, but we come from a Christian background, and while I don't... Uh, identify as being christian now from a cultural perspective i feel like the word is too loaded um there's been a quote that i've heard recently that i've really resonated with and it's by richard Rohr, who we've talked about and he says that christianity was never meant to be a separate religion it was meant to be the lens through which you see all religion and that really tripped me up at first, and part of it I don't understand, part of it I don't agree with, but there's also something I, I really, that angle, I feel like there's something really right about it. And the thing that's been most helpful for me lately in regards to understanding that quote is to say it a little bit differently, but to say Christianity was never meant to be, or let's just phrase it this way, the teachings of Jesus were never meant to be a separate set of facts. It was supposed to be the lens through which you view all facts. And that lens, the way I see it, is a way to find meaning, purpose, empathy, compassion, and love. That's the way through which I view facts. And and Jesus' teachings uh, have helped me do that. So I, we're trying to teach that to our kids. If they reject it, I I don't really care. Like, uh, you know, the, I, I don't think, I, I don't want to say I don't care at all, but yeah, it doesn't impact like my my relationship with them my hope for my kids is that they can connect to a true source of being um higher power and if that's not through the teachings of jesus and it's through the teachings of buddha or something else then i say that that's great you know i want I want them to, to have that connection. When we talk about connection, like I want them to have that connection. And I don't think, I think there's a lot of ways that you can find that connection. If, if God is real, you know, and if the teachings of Jesus are true, I, I just trust that those will connect with my kids if they are. I would, I would rather create kids that are hungry for 
learning and willing to grow and change and be humble um, that they land on that themselves. But if they don't, you know, whatever, as long as they don't eat Cheetos. Um, okay. That's all for today. Um, if you want to leave a message for the future podcast, whether it be a question or comment, the phone number is 206-651-5744. This podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere that you should be able to find podcasts. So check that out if that's helpful to you. Um, there's a Facebook discussion group. Um, the links of everything that we share today, including this original 20-minute video, is all in the show notes, which should be in the YouTube description or the iTunes description, whatever platform you're on. Um, and we uh, need you guys to send us lots of money. For chairs. <laughs> Uh, hang on. I need to do this, otherwise we'll get shit for it. Where is it? Right here. Okay, send us money if you want, or don't if you don't want. Um, and send us comments and questions. Yeah, and I'm um, we don't have a new outro, so maybe I'll just stick with the old outro for now because I really like it, and it'll be a good nod to the original viewers, listeners here. So thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.